I love that stuff. It's what drives me. But my ego goes, well, look at all these other creators and what they can do. They have more leverage, right? They have all these things. And actually, there is a lot of leverage in client services. There is a lot of doors that get opened, and it is very profitable work if you know how to do it well. Welcome to Creative Elements, a show where we talk to your favorite creators and learn what it takes to make a living from your art and creativity. I'm your host, Jay Klaus. Let's start the show. Hello, my friend. Welcome back to another episode of Creative Elements. We're back this week with an episode of Jay Talking with Jay Akunzo. Jay is a marketer, author, podcaster, a listener favorite here on Creative Elements, and one of my good friends. It's spooky, it's scary, it's cathartic. It's unthinkable. Questioning best practices to create work that resonates. I'm Jay Akunzo. I think every creator needs a couple close creator friends, people who know your business, your audience, and have a sense for how it's changed over time. Those friends are such an important part of your journey as a sounding board, an advice giver, even therapist sometimes. And Jay is one of those people for me. Jay and I talk several times a month already and are part of a mastermind group of other creators that we self-organized. And this Jay Talking series is meant to give you more of a fly-on-the-wall experience listening to a more casual conversation between two creators, two friends. It's not an interview, it's just the two of us sharing notes. The first episode in the series was episode number 81, where we talked about speaking businesses. This past month, Jay and I both launched entirely new products. Both of our products are memberships, but they are in two very different forms. For Jay, he's launching a program called Elevate, a short-term membership with a small group of people. So Elevate is a small working group that I am piloting starting April 11th, small group of about nine people. You might have heard the phrase accountability group. I think there's some degree of like small group coaching is a thing in people's minds, but I'm calling it a working group because, you know, my personal professional mission is to help people make what matters. And I'm always paranoid that people like you and me, Jay, create experiences and have social platforms where, you know, you could follow us and listen to us and read us. And it's a form of hiding because it feels very productive, but at the same time, you haven't produced anything. So I hadn't really built anything that was solely focused on the doing of the work, the making of the content. I have some experience with working groups like Jay is describing from my time building Unreal Collective, a 12-week group coaching program that I started in 2017 and was eventually acquired by Pat Flynn and Smart Passive Income. But this time, I'm building a very different membership program. My membership is the Creative Companion Club, a membership community for creators who want to level up and go pro. Inside of the Creative Companion Club, we have about 75 creators today who are building YouTube channels, email newsletters, social media empires, cohort-based courses, podcasts, and even memberships of their own. My goal is simple, to personally help each of these creators expand their reach, increase their revenue, build new relationships, and find deeper resonance with their target audience. This way, they can earn a real living with their creative work. And we're building an incredible community. Jay himself was an early member to help me kick the tires. We recorded this episode just a couple of weeks ago when we were both in the midst of launching our membership programs. I thought it would be fun to give you an inside look at our different approaches while we were literally in the thick of it. 
I just had a quesadilla and then you literally texted me like, do you want to do this now? Yeah, sure. Cheese, <laughs> cheese and sour cream are great for recording. Um, Jay filled his membership and kicked off his cohort just this week. And as I just shared, we have about 75 members in the Creative Companion Club now too. So thankfully, we both ended up with a great launch experience. So in this episode, we talk about how we structured our membership programs, the difference between creators following a Tesla model versus a Toyota model, the psychology of pricing a membership, how I pre-sold access to the Creative Companion Club, and the uncertainties that we didn't let hold us back. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode as you listen. You can find me on Twitter at jklaus or on Instagram at creativeelements.fm. Tag me, say hello, let me know that you're listening. And if you want to join the Creative Companion Club, we'd love to have you. Just visit joinccc.com. That's joinccc.com. And the link is also in the show notes. Okay, it's time for Jay Talking with Jay Akunzo. You know, it's impromptu because I'm wearing my house jacket. You have a house jacket? My house jacket is what I call this... I guess now it's trendy to call it a shacket, a shirt jacket, but I basically wear this same thing over top, whatever t-shirt I'm wearing for the day, every day right now, because it's, it's got this thick lining with like fuzz, kind of like the cool fuzzy hoodies that were in vogue when I was in high school. (laughs) Yeah, me too. I have a bunch of those. When the dog chomps down on my arm, I don't feel a thing. So it's just like (laughs) this wonderful puppy shacket. Mm. Uh, but anyway, it's not really a camera-ready article of clothing, so <laughs> that's how casual we're being today. I thought it'd be fun to get on and chat because we're both doing community-oriented projects right now, mm-hmm. and while we're both like super immersed in thinking about what we're doing, why we're doing it, how we're doing it, I thought it'd be fun to chat about it uh, because we're taking two different approaches, and people listening may be considering either approach, and I thought it'd be fun to chat about. Sure. I love it. Tell us about Elevate. Mm, Okay, so it's a small group, an eight-week program. You know, it's application only. I'm vetting everybody that comes in. It's for folks that are beyond starting and they're trying to level up. They're trying to elevate. They can sense there's like another gear. They sense it in other people. They can sense it in themselves. You know, occasionally you just need someone to say that one thing, do that, or let's pressure test your ideas. But it's a blend of one-to-one and one-to-few time with me and then also this small group, to work on actual projects. It is a working group, not a place to hide. Let's get even deeper into the specifics of the format. So it's eight weeks, eight to nine people. What does each of those weeks look like? So week one is is a a 60-minute strategy call with me. So we'll start by talking about what is it you're trying to accomplish. You know, I need to get context on you, of course, and I can get some of that secondhand through the application. That's part of the reason I'm having it be application only. It's, yes, I want to vet people, you know, and, and have decent policy as to who makes it in, but it also has nothing to do with your personal audience or logo fame on your LinkedIn. The application is also very helpful for me to understand what you're all about and what you're trying to achieve. So the 60-minute one-on-one strategy call with me is how we begin to plan out those eight weeks and focus you on being as productive as possible. Because in surveying my audience, and I'm sure you'd find the same thing, Jay, the number one reason people are not more creative, according to them, is time. And so we need to use our time together to work within the limitations of the stuff you're already working on, the resources you already have, 
you know, I think this is a problem with so much online education is it kind of forces you to find the time to go and take that educational experience. And then also a lot of the content doesn't really understand your context. So a mentor would understand your context. That's what that strategy calls about is molding the experience to your resource constraints, your aspirations, your projects, et cetera. So we go from the strategy call to three mastermind-like calls. Everybody gets a hot seat. So you get to jump on, explain what you're doing. Everybody's present on every call. You get one hot seat as a part of that total of three mastermind calls as a group. And we all focus on you for that period of time. And also two additional kind of like barrier busting calls, really short calls with me about like, okay, we've checked in now, both as an individual and as a group. Where are you struggling? Where are you stuck? What questions do you have? Let's focus on just moving you forward this week right now fast. And so that blend of like one-to-one long form, one-to-one short form, one-to-few combines to help you radically focus, just be ruthless about what you're trying to accomplish within a short period of time. So the punchline I'm hoping to all of this is near-term results, but long-lasting learning. So you're investing in yourself both now and what you're trying to achieve now, and also over time, you leave better equipped to do hopefully anything you want creatively. I like these group formats. I'm, I'm big on thinking about aligning incentives right now, especially in something that involves somebody's time who is in high demand. So, you know, you mentioned that week one, you have a 60 minute strategy call with these people. Yeah. Would you be comfortable sharing a ballpark of what a typical 60 minute strategy call with Jay Akunzo costs? Yeah. I list my pricing on my website for clients because I don't really negotiate. Like I'm, I'm using it as a useful form of friction. You know, there's some things where I'll negotiate, but usually it's where I see an opportunity to for example, develop a podcast for a client who's going to put me on as the host and they have a massive audience. Like that's a, that's an opportunity where I say, maybe I'd negotiate down a little bit, but I just list my pricing. So it is public. So a consulting call with me is 2,500. And so for an hour, 2,500. And, you know, I usually, I, I am B2B. I'm not really working with independent freelancers. So, you know, part of the small working group allows me to go down market in terms of the financing or resources available to a buyer to work with folks that might be up and coming creators or established creators. You don't have the budget of a B2B brand necessarily to hire me as a consultant or, you know, a, an advisor. So it's a $2,500 ticket just for the call. And, you know, the prep and post stuff as well that goes into that. But the group, it's the same exact price for way more time together and also asynchronous communication via Slack for eight weeks, right? So I'm able to do that. The finances make sense. The economics make sense because it is one to few instead of one to one. Right, exactly. And that is what I'm kind of getting at with the aligned incentives because I've done some some group, like a working group before in the past also. And I like that because... The typical customer that I could work with in that working group couldn't afford my hourly rate, but I could justify working with that person because I'm working with a whole crew of them at once. Yeah. And they are people that I want to work with. It's just challenging economically to, to try to work with them one to one. So I think that makes sense. And that is like a good, a good aligned incentive for you as a creator to offer pretty direct actually very direct one-to-one time helping yep. people because there's this group component on the back end kind of scaling your hourly rate. So yeah. Speak. And you know, this is a good transition to what you're working on, Jay. So I, last year, about 18 months ago, maybe at this point, I, st- I tried my hand at a kind of more formal community group where it's like open-ended. It's not this like eight week working group focused on, you know, very narrowly a goal or a project. It was enroll in the community. You're a part of the community and I'll find programming to help you and add value and also retain members, right? And then grow that membership. I tried that and I tried it with a pilot group. I think I had 20 folks enroll. 
and about half of them were paid and half of them were just like friends I invited or I gave away a couple scholarships um, for folks who didn't have the funds. And so I had this group of 20. And, you know, what I realized is, A, that did not steer into my core skills. Like, I am a storyteller and a teacher. I'm very good at audience-related things or one-to-one consulting and, and you know, like, high-ticket engagements. I really enjoy that stuff. And, like, creators, it's like the Spider-Man meme. Creators will point at me like I'm crazy, and I'll point at them like they're crazy because they're like, wait, Jay, you sell tens of thousands of dollars per contract to a few organizations a year. You're nuts. And I'm like, wait, you sell a few hundred dollars a course <laughs> to thousands of people a year. You're nuts, right? And we're just, like, pointing at each other like, insanity. So, you know, I'm steering into both my strengths. I'm really good at the deeper engagements. I'm good at the one-on-one mentorship. I'm good at that kind of stuff. And also my learning from doing that community group was when I sunset it, because I realized I am not a community builder and nor did I want to do that. I offered a way out in two different forms you could pick to the existing members. I would reimburse you. And I did for some people, or I'm not going to reimburse you, but instead of the community group, we are going to have group calls for the remainder of the year, one a month for 90 minutes. And the people who chose that, it was like the thing they'd been looking for from the community group that they didn't really get and I didn't offer. They like emerged from each of these calls so inspired, so fired up, not even just because I was there, but because I was able to like corral, direct, sort of just like have each other, you know, have the group help each other. Um, So equal parts, maybe my value in the group and them on these small group calls. And I was like, okay, so that's something I'm taking that with me. I've learned what not to do. I've also learned one thing that I might try. And when I started to scope a new course this year around this topic of creative resonance, which I've been studying and blogging about and writing about and podcasting about, and that's my next book at some point, I was going to make a course, a recorded course. And a friend of mine said to me, well, the upsell you just told me you're going to do, Jay, is the thing you should just sell, which is the small group workshops or working groups over a period of time. I was going to tack that on to the course. And she knows me. And so mentor style, she's able to say, given all this context, Jay, you should just make that the product. Jay, you've done something different. You're taking maybe a different tact where you are a good community builder. You seem to genuinely love that. And that led you to the offering you're now focused on. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, different approach, but similar style of like questioning that led me to get to my answer. So the Creative Companion Club, it is more of a classic community membership where the majority of our conversation happens in a digital forum. I am experimenting with having like a companion mobile app that's just a lot more chat based and free flowing and fun and real time feeling. And I do lean heavily into programming inside of the community because I think what people need when they join any style of membership is a very clear sense of how do I use this thing? How do I engage with this and get out of it what I want to get out of it? And also, am I on the same page as the creator of this space that they're offering to me what I want? You know, so I think it's really, really important no matter what model you go with when you're building a membership to be very clear about your purpose up front and what people are going to get out of it and then make it really obvious and easy how to get that thing once I've enrolled in this experience. So I similarly thought from the lens of sustainability. I don't have the biggest audience in the world, but I figured, you know, this whatever membership I offer, I can probably get in the hundreds of people to join depending on the price. But communities at a level of like several hundred people get to be a lot. Uh, for a lot of reasons. Right. And I didn't really want to introduce the chaos of 
hundreds of people joining all at once in trying to like form bridges of relationships between hundreds of people. Like every one of those people could have a relationship with every one of those people. We're talking about thousands of potential relationships that could be created in a community of hundreds. And as the community builder, you're kind of the the facilitator of that. So I thought for a long time about pricing, honestly, because I wanted the membership to appeal to the right type of person. And I didn't want to have a huge community, but I needed it to be economically incentivizing for me to put all the effort into it that I wanted to put into it. So it became a higher priced community offering so that price was a filter to bring in people who are really serious about going pro as a creator, people who want to make their creator business their full-time thing. Yeah, it plays the role of filter and also incentivizing mechanism for all of the programming that I do in there, which is kind of a lot. After a quick break, Jay and I talk about the two models of selling products we see happening and our arguments for and against each of them. And later, we dive into the specific strategies that I'm finding success with inside of my own membership, the Creative Companion Club. So stick around and we'll be right back. If you know me, you know how much I believe in memberships. My membership is the core of my business and earning an income directly from your audience is one of the most sustainable ways for you to become a professional creator too. So I want to tell you about today's sponsor, Uscreen. Uscreen is a beautiful all-in-one platform that helps content creators earn a living from their videos by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. You can host private live streams for your members, build an on-demand catalog of premium content, And Uscreen gives you a community hub to interact with your members too. They can access your community from their mobile phone, so your membership is right there in their pocket. With a Uscreen account, you get video hosting, an out-of-the-box website, full payment and subscription management, and plenty of third-party integrations too. And Uscreen makes it easy to get set up. You get access to powerful website themes that are fully brandable with no coding skills required. Uscreen will even provide a dedicated success manager for you. Just about anyone that wants to make money from their content can do it with Uscreen. It's perfect for coaches, authors, influencers, and entrepreneurs in just about any niche. Right now, Uscreen is used by creators in fitness, education, news, kids entertainment, and more. That includes Yoga with Adrian and Creator Now, just to name a couple. Uscreen is the platform for building a video membership site that is great for generating a sustainable income for professional creators. If you create video content for your audience, I highly recommend checking it out. If you're interested in learning more about Uscreen, visit uscreen.link slash J. That's U-S-C-R-E-E-N dot link slash J and let them know that I sent you. This episode is sponsored by Podcast Movement. For the past decade, Podcast Movement has organized the world's largest gathering of podcasters featuring thousands of attendees, hundreds of breakout sessions, panels, and workshops, plus the largest trade show in podcasting. Podcast Movement helps podcasters of all experience levels create, grow, and profit from their show. It's suitable for beginners, but you'll also have the opportunity to meet some of the biggest names in the industry. I've been to several Podcast Movement events, and not only is the programming incredible, but the culture and vibe are incredible too. It attracts thoughtful, empathetic, and collaborative people, which makes sense when you think about the medium of podcasting. Podcast Movement hosts two events per year. The first just wrapped up, but their flagship conference is happening August 19th through the 22nd in Washington, D.C. Attendees have the freedom to choose their own adventure across several different stages throughout the four-day event, not to mention dozens of amazing networking events, parties, and the expo hall floor. Tracks include podcast creation, video and live streaming, industry professional, 
plus several stages of curated programming from some of the top companies in podcasting. It's truly a unique event, and if you are a podcaster, I cannot recommend it enough. Right now, tickets are available at super duper early bird pricing. And as a Creator Science listener, you can save $50 on top of that by visiting podcastmovement.com slash science. That's podcastmovement.com slash science. Welcome back to Jay Talking with Jay Akunzo. Jay and I are taking two different approaches to selling our memberships, which reflects on both our target customers as well as our viewpoints on selling products in general. And Jay wanted to talk about those differences. I develop shows for brands, for those listening who don't know what, that, what the heck I do. And I also used to give paid keynotes, but with the pandemic and also two little kids under the age of four, I don't, I don't really speak much anymore. So now I'm looking for that next level down where the in-between, it's less per, per contract or less per you know, skew. For example, the skew is less. It's still not a ton of people. It's not $100 for 1,000 buyers. It's $2,500 a head for nine a cohort, maybe I'll do four cohorts or five a year. That's it. What I've had to come to terms with is when you sell direct to your audience, there's like two different creator models. And I kind of feel a little bent out of shape that one seems to be dominant in the zeitgeist. So maybe we can just like talk about this, Jay, and pick apart both sides because there's good and bad in both. Yeah. What are these models? All right. I'll give you an analogy. Toyota and Tesla. Most creators because this is the most visible creator in the world or creators in the world, they have this model, want to be Toyota. They don't use this terminology, of course. It's lower dollar amount thing, applicable or purchased by many people. So it's applicable to or purchased by lots and lots of people. So that is the classic, like it's a course for not a ton of money and I can sell it, you know, in my sleep over and over again. I'm going to get out of time for dollars. I'm going to drop the price way, way down. I'm going to sell it to lots of people. So there's more of a link between audience growth and business growth for the Toyota model. The Tesla model is much different. The Tesla model is it's a premium product with a premium price tag sold to fewer people. And I think it comes with an added benefit that when you start with the Tesla model, everyone else who understands what you do or appreciates it, you feel aspirational to them. So at any moment, if you wanted to, you could expand your market and do so efficiently by just coming down market and capitalizing on what is basically existing demand. So Tesla does that, right? Tesla is starting to come down market. You're seeing new models that are cheaper. They're selling more to families, et cetera. Toyota, however, could not just go up market to expand their market or capture higher margin or higher price tag uh, business. They had to create an entirely new brand, Lexus, because no one buying a Tesla was like, well, am I going to buy a Tesla or a Toyota, right? So they had to create an entirely new brand. So I'm perturbed by two things. One is... Nobody tells this to creators and the incentive because of the optics of fame and big follower accounts is basically do the Toyota thing. So there's like this implicit, almost insidious approach creeping into people's minds. And it's also limiting. It is profoundly limiting and very, very stressful to tie audience growth to business growth that closely. It is limiting because if you are known for the person who sells to everybody, uh, the folks that are more discerning, maybe they're advanced in their career as an individual or they're a team building a great brand, they may not want to buy from you because your reputation either doesn't even allow you to enter their ecosystem or it it sort of doesn't feel like, oh, well, you you don't talk to my type of person or company, right? So you need a Lexus brand. You need to spin something out entirely. So I feel like Tesla models are less stressful if you can do it. They're very lucrative, good margin business, and also it gives you more optionality. So that's my bent. That's my rant. 
I'd love it like if you picked that apart and saw the good and the bad in it. Well, before I interact with that, your last comment about appealing to a discerning customer, I think about this all the time. It's so hard, like you said, to try to grow an audience rapidly if the audience members that you typically have are discerning people because discerning people are slow to trust something. That's, yes. that's who they are. It's what they, what they do. What I see work for a lot of creators who reach some giant level of audience, you know, kind of your, your classic Twitter think boy, if you will, a lot of discerning people will see the tweets of these, these people and think that's pretty vapid and shallow and we agree with it. I know what you're doing. This isn't for me. But then that person does that so well for a period of time that their audience gets to be so big that now discerning people are like, well, but there's something I can learn from you because you're able to do this. <laughs> and it's an interesting kind of like return to that person. But I still don't think it's, it's from a different lens. It's not like I want to buy your product. It's like I want to glean from you what you were able to do successfully here, even though I was smart enough for you to not pull one over on me. So I do I do like that tension that you called out of difficult to try to grow rapidly if you are appealing to discerning people. Yes. The Tesla Toyota thing is interesting also because I see this play out in the pro and in the con. When I was at SPI last year and we were building out the membership community, SPI Pro, a lot of the people who joined right away were people who had been following Pat for like a decade. But Pat's content has continued to serve an audience of people who are mostly beginners. So you have these people who have aged and experienced out of being a beginner who had no way to interact with the creator, but still like really loved their work and credited them for a lot of their growth. And having this higher ticket item, this, this more luxury thing was finally a way for them to re-engage. So I feel like there is always going to be some segment of your audience, if you are starting smaller, who age with you that want to go upstream and re-engage in a more serious way if you open up that valve for them. Yes, yes, I love that. And I also feel like, you know, we hear this pithy maxim all the time. It's easier to keep an existing customer than win a new one. What the, you know, kind of giant names, you know, painting with very broad strokes here, what the viral tweets that you see from one account tend to be doing or what that person tends to be doing is arbitraging fear, arbitraging you being a novice. So there's a lot of new people coming online. There's not new people using Twitter. Um, there's a lot of new people to business. And what happens is if you're like, okay, so this is the new thing. It's, I don't know, crypto. It's whatever. Take a thing. It doesn't have to be Web3, but take something. This is the new thing. And I'm going to teach it and talk about it, et cetera. Eventually people go, oh, I get it. And I, I'm also more discerning now. And I will choose who I'm going to go with for the long haul. And also the things that are built for the mass audience are sort of the average ideas for average people, right? So I've kind of focused my time elsewhere. That person's less useful unless they continue the arbitrage. So they'll say, okay, well, now the next new thing is this. And you have to be worried you're going to miss that boat. And so what they're doing in many ways, again, painting with broad strokes, is they're constant. If there's always a next new thing you have to know, you never kind of age out or your taste doesn't evolve out or away from these types of people. And so on the back end, what they're doing is constructing business models where they can monetize in two different ways. One is to the audience, because it's so big, it's not too dissimilar from a CPM or advertising model. It's a low dollar amount to lots of people. And the only way to grow, you know, advertising-based revenue is you need more eyeballs, you need more people, right? Same with like a low dollar amount product sold to lots of people. But the other way they do it is they, they flip there and you know another form of arbitraging if you will they flip their aura or their their sort of perception into the premium thing so they'll say like i can now consult whatever brand here 
or charge some people a lot of money. And the reason you're, you're opting into that is because I have this perception of, look, I have a million Twitter followers or you've heard my name. And so what I think is, well, actually, you can reap that reward when you have almost no followers. And the more I've thought about that, the more I found all these creators who have almost no social presence that are making gobs of profit and living a great life and building a business and doing meaningful work for their customers, their clients, their audiences by doing things like charging six grand for a two-day workshop or virtual or in person for, you know, groups of 15 people or working with clients one-to-one or just, they're just going full on into the premium model and they never have to play this like arbitrage game. I, that to me aligns more with my values. I think that's why I favor it. Yeah. I think another issue people have with making this Toyota versus Tesla decision I think a classic fallacy people have, especially when they're just beginning to sell a product, is to do a gut check with themselves of, well, would I pay this for this product? And the answer is always no, because you have the knowledge, you have the expertise, you have the ability to do this thing. So of course you're not going to do that. It's impossible to separate yourself from the the cursive knowledge to know how valuable that actually is to somebody who doesn't have it and also doesn't have a lot of time, but they may have the resources to solve the problem with those resources instead. So they panic and they think, well, I wouldn't pay this. I'm going to lower the price. And that puts them back into this lower price, which necessitates bigger audience growth type of thing. And it is scary, you know, pricing the Creative Companion Club at $1,000 at a base level and $2,000 for the VIP level. That felt a little scary, but I also knew as a creator, the things that I invest in are at that level, if not above. And we we use price as a marker of not only quality, but at, we know it's a filter. You know, um, yes. our friend Sarah mentioned she saw somebody selling a, I think it was a mastermind program. And the mastermind program had two pricing levels and there was no difference between the two. The text on the page simply said, pay for whatever level will put you in the room of people that you want. So if you see a price, you see like, I'm going to join a mastermind. It can either be $2,000 for this mastermind or $10,000 for this mastermind. You know, the people paying $10,000 are going to be different people. And if you have the means and those are the people you want to be around, that's what you purchase. Pricing is just such a trip on this stuff. Yeah, that, that was really interesting. It was like, if you pay the higher tier, your, your membership is going to be among the people who also paid at that tier, right? So the idea here is implied, but uh, effective, which is the folks at that tier are more serious, more successful, whatever. You make assumptions based on who can pay that. And if you pay that, you'll be around people that will help you in your career more so than if it's the lower dollar amount. So that's just the, the summary of that. I want to do, I want to acknowledge something, which is some creators are all for, I want to price more. I want to capture more. And you know, like a great bit of advice I got there was if you're not at least a little bit uncomfortable with what you're charging, you're charging too little. Like you should be charging a little bit more. Like you think this ask is a little too high and this goes for everybody except the megalomaniacs out there. But there's another, there's almost like a downside to this where you're saying, well, I, I, I actually said this when I announced elevate these working groups to my list, I had a PS section because I know There are very discerning, like I'm very fortunate. I have a small but passionate and kind of long lasting, very loyal audience from a lot of premium brands. So I can charge higher amounts for whatever I offer. But there's a lot of independent creators. There are a lot of freelancers as I am both of those things. I also, I think, help people kind of get over some internal maker monsters like imposter syndrome and stuff like that. So I do also attract some folks that don't have the funds yet or maybe ever to pay for something like a $2,500 working group. And I get that. So what I decided to do was just preempt that and say in the email, PS, just on the price here, 
I said, I understand that a premium product precludes some people from accessing it, but rest assured, here's what's going to happen with these funds. And I know you do this too, Jay, and it's such an advantage we have when you can connect directly to your audience because you can say stuff like this. Number one, I said, my free products will be supported by these funds. So I will continue doing the free things you are enjoying because of this revenue. Number two, they will get better because of the ideas I'm learning in the group. So I'm like, this is what we do as creators. Like we observe the world and we use that as material for the free things that everybody can access. So as I'm working with these people in the small groups of Elevate, I'm going to be able to improve my newsletter and my podcast on everyone's behalf. And so I said, when a few benefit, we all benefit. And then I also added something inspired by you because I think you mentioned something about the wedding with you and Mallory. I said, I have two little ones at home under the age of three, under the age of four rather. And uh, we're saving up for our next car. You know, I, I would like to publish my next book. I, I think I'd like to do it as a hybrid model so I can retain the rights and give away a lot of free copies and do all these things you can't do through a traditional publisher necessarily. That's like also buying a used car. It's not cheap to do a hybrid published book. So I'm also trying to say, I have stuff going on as a person too. And you'll benefit from my projects. Also, I will benefit from the investment people are making. So yeah, like, this is I why that. I am charging a good amount of money for these things because I'm trying to live my life. I love that. So what Jay is referring to, I did this experiment about a year ago where I added a block to the end of all of my course sales pages to say proceeds go directly to, and for a while it was our first home and then it became our wedding and probably still is our wedding. I need to add that block to the Creative Companion Club page actually. Uh, dog treats for Teddy. I think it's got to be dog, dog treats for Teddy. Well, Teddy has a thriving Instagram affiliate business now, so he gets <laughs> all kinds of stuff for free. Of course he does. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we're, we're humans too. I think it's good when you can kind of close the loop on this because you can preempt it, like you said. But uh, I had a, a partner who I referred somebody to him and we don't have any type of shared like agreement to say, I expect some kickback when I share somebody, but he knew they came from me and he said, I want to actually thank you for this. It became a big, a big client, a big project. Can I send you some money? And I said, absolutely, you can. And then I told him exactly where it's going. I said, this is going straight to the honeymoon. <laughs> so thank you. I yes. think people appreciate that because it's like, where is this going? And oh, wow, I'm supporting your honeymoon. That's awesome. Jay, what do you think are the characteristic traits that make somebody thrive under one or either of those models, the Toyota model? Or Tesla. So like, I'll give you an example of the Toyota one because it's easy for me to be a cynic and say like, oh, it's you're just making a commodity thing. It's like everyone's trying to learn a thing and you pop out the course as quickly as possible to get in front of that demand before anybody else does. But ultimately, the information in that course or book or podcast or whatever it is you're offering to your audience, it's not that differentiated. It's not that special. Like that's the cynical view. But there is a world where like this is how I'm having an impact on my audience's lives and growing my audience and my business. So there's nothing wrong with either of these things. I just personally have a preference. So for example, on the Toyota side, I'd imagine operational efficiency has to be one of your calling cards. What do you see on either of those, the Tesla or the Toyota model, as other characteristics that a creator should consider? Is this a superpower? Because I think that helps them make a choice for the type of model they want to develop. Operating efficiency is a good call out because my first thought for the, the high growth, lower price product was being prolific. Like you have to just be constantly putting stuff out because every piece of content you put out is kind of a, a feeder, a call to action to one of those smaller products. And also if your business model is tied to audience growth, you just need to be prolific yes. for the most part. Yes. On the higher end side, I think it really comes down to your ability to contextualize and synthesize. 
Because at the higher end, you're probably having more direct communication with somebody. You're probably doing more listening and understanding and replaying back and giving direction based on what they're they're saying. So I think you you need to be a good listener and be able to take in a lot of data points because if someone's coming to you because you're a good listener and they want your advice, they should want you to be somebody who has seen a lot of different situations and can filter all of that experience and that knowledge through the lens of this person's needs and this person's experience. Yes. Which is challenging because most people filter everything through the lens of, well, here's what I did which is just not a good approach. <laughs> no, what, what I've had to be able, and I think there's a difference between, um, and this, this plagues a lot of creators too, especially B2B, where there's like ultimate guides and playbooks and my simple system and all that stuff. There's a difference between blueprints and frameworks. Blueprints are, I'm laying it all out for you, and this is what you will use to go build. And that's really dangerous unless you know that they can do the things you do or want to do exactly what you did. And even then, I'd argue, you just don't know all their variables. But so a blueprint is very prescriptive. And it is very much like, follow this to the letter and you will succeed or you will make the thing. Frameworks, however, and other related heuristics, I think are more like kind of little tools you can bust out on the journey to overcome obstacles en route to whatever you're trying to do uniquely as the person in my audience. So an example of a blueprint I think is pretty obvious. It's like, here are the 10 exact steps to take or something like that. A framework might be, well, you're facing a tough choice, so use Eisenhower's decision-making matrix, this two-by-two two matrix that plots urgency, you know, and how important something is, how urgent it is, et cetera, right? That's a framework where you can bring out that tool as you see fit. But what I've done is make something complex that you may encounter simpler to access or execute on. I have not prescribed exactly what you should do the way a blueprint does. And so for me, I can't stand blueprints. I came out of B2B marketing where every B2B SaaS company publishes blueprints. I have published more eBooks onto the internet than I care to admit. I, I was head of content for HubSpot. I worked for Google, like these B2B giants that had, you know, Google's consumer, but there I was in the advertising side of the house. I was chewed up and spit out by like tips and tricks are us, essentially. It's almost like you've written a book about going against blueprints. Almost like I broke the wheel. <laughs> buy Break the Wheel wherever you find your books, aka Amazon. Yes, before I wrote Break the Wheel, I was just a disillusioned, pissed off marketer. So I like frameworks. So that's something I learned about myself. It's hard won through a lot of frustration, as someone can tell. And so I realized, oh, there is a business model that supports this way of thinking. But my ego is pulling me towards the opposite because it's so sexy sounding to say 10,000 people on my list, 10,000 people bought my thing. I went viral today on Twitter. But there's an alternative path where you don't have to care about any of that, where audience growth and business growth are not as closely linked, and you can care more about the things that I think I care about. So I would put forth that one as vet whether or not you like the blueprint type of education or publishing or the framework style. Are you more of a prescriptive teacher or a mentor? You and I are interviewers. We can use that to our advantage when we talk to somebody in a mentor-like capacity. And uh, that's why I'm doing the small working groups, because I can show up with less prep time than somebody else and be really effective in the room in an impromptu way. And I'm also really polished as a speaker because my years on the road as a professional speaker. So I can parlay all these things into the working group, into the Tesla model. And I'd encourage other people to like interrogate their own skills accordingly. Yeah, I love that. When I went house shopping last year and we were going and looking at all the different 
homes that fell into our search in terms of bedrooms and bathrooms and neighborhoods. It was very clear which homes had been built from a blueprint that we had seen before. And we (laughs) immediately rolled them out. We said, nope, not what we're looking for. And I think a lot of people who you serve, dear creator, are also very able to spot something that was created from a blueprint. And that's probably not what they're looking for. The other point that I wanted to make on that is I think information wants to be free. So blueprints, things that are information that can be reliably replicated, will just get commoditized and pushed further and further down until they eventually are free. So part of the reason why I absolutely love putting a community at the center of my business is, you know, I wrote in my tweet thread announcing this thing. I can't teach you to be a professional creator with a pre-recorded course. I can't teach you to be a creator with a cohort-based course. You know, I need time. I need a lot of time. I need to adapt to changing world conditions and changing interests and context from the members. So the best way for me to help people get to the place they want to be, which is a professional creator like you and I, I need to be able to have an ongoing relationship with them where I can understand their context over a period of time and adapt, you know, whatever guidance and frameworks I give to them over a period of time. When we come back, Jay and I talk about the concerns that we have about our chosen membership models, and I get into the specifics of my experience marketing memberships in the past, both small groups and larger communities, right after this. Hey, welcome back. Jay and I are both on the other side of our launches now, but when we recorded this, we were right in the thick of it. The launches have gone very well for both of us, but at the time of this recording, we weren't so sure that they would. So... We're both launching these new offerings. We've sort of delineated. There's like very generally speaking, two different paths or directions you can go. And, you know, maybe it starts to blend over time. You launch the Lexus version of what you do, or you come down market because you're Tesla. It's easy for anyone to hear people on a podcast, especially one as great as yours, Jay. People could be listening and going, well, they got it all figured out. I have XYZ problem, variable situation, can't figure it out, like disassociate from what they hear on a podcast. So what don't you know? What are the unknowns and the concerns that you have in building this community of yours? Well, thankfully, it's already at a level of membership where there's very good participation and people are beginning to exhibit behaviors that are not dependent on me. Meaning, you know, someone comes in and introduces themselves. It's not just me saying, hey, welcome. Other people are immediately saying, hey, we're glad you're here. I had an experience a couple days ago that was just like mind blowing. I mentioned we have a chat based mobile app. And one of our members, Sarah, said, hey, I want to start a thread on strategically thinking about going full time as a creator. I have this agency. The agency is killing it. It's awesome. But I really want to be a creator full time. So I want to start a conversation about that. I said, that's great. Please post it in the forum because I have a feeling that that is something I'm going to want to reference over and over and over again. So I knew this post was coming. I got a notification that she posted it. I took three minutes to record a loom response myself. And two people beat me to responding to Sarah. So that's like a community builder stream is like, okay, the people here want to be here. They're active. They're helping each other. The unknowns are always retention. You know, it's an annual only membership. So a year from now, will people decide to renew? Will everybody decide at once not to renew? That gets a little bit planed out over a period of months as people join, you know, next week, next month, two months from now, three months from now. But that's, that's always an unknown is retention. 
And also right now, the, the core of this model is what I'm calling these shared focus sprints, which are essentially very lightweight cohort-based courses that are only available to members. We just finished one on creating a high converting sales page or landing page. It was a hmm. three-week sprint. We had three live calls. And between the live calls, I was recording a pre-recorded video with guidance to basically say, like, here's how I would go about this. Here's the framework I would offer. Here's some options that you can model. Showcasing your work or teaching in, in general? Both. Oh. It was like, it was saying, here are different examples, different styles of landing pages. And here's how I think about all of them. Sure. Here are some literal examples of different landing pages. I would loosely bucket them in either kind of like a, an immediate email subscribe landing page or a longer form product landing page. And here are examples of both. And so I think that's actually going to be the biggest pull to this membership is these like structured, frequent cohort based courses that are only available to members. But we'll find out because a lot of people join something like this because they want accountability, but then bad habits kick in and they immediately run from the accountability. So it's, it's kind of figuring out how to best help people who have already said, this is something I'm interested in, continue to follow through on that commitment to themselves for the betterment of them and the community as a whole. What about you? So many concerns, my friend. <laughs> Un unlike you, I do not have a long track record of creating initiatives and offerings sold to groups or everybody. Again, most of my business historically as an independent creator has been client work, developing podcasts, documentary series, often hosting them. I love that stuff. It's what drives me. But my ego goes, well, look at all these other creators and what they can do. They have more leverage, right? They have all these things. And actually, there is a lot of leverage in client services. There is a lot of doors that get opened, and it is very profitable work if you know how to do it well. You know, the way you structure contracts, all these things, the minutia of which I really love. And we have a mutual friend, Kat Lavery, who talked about, I always have a well-designed PDF for something. because really I They're thank incredible. You. Thank you. It's a, I, I pride myself in my uh, website's design and also the documentation that hangs off of it. But you get really good at documentation that you can send externally for clients, right? So leaning into that feels right. What still doesn't feel quite right is developing initiatives sold through some kind of sales page, not an invoice, not a statement of work, to even nine people at a time. So I have concerns about how does this pilot go? Will I fill it? Am I pricing too high? Am I offering too little? Am I pricing too low? Am I offering too much? So everything right now is a question mark. And that's why the more I approach these things, the more I'm like, what I have religion around is the model, this Tesla idea, that approach, not how I execute it. That's a test. Everything's a test, right? What could I sell? What could I offer? A ton of stuff. For example, I'm getting a lot of pressure from my audience essentially to own the theme of B2B storytellers. Not brand story, but B2B storytellers. I think everybody at a B2B business and every B2B creator should be a great storyteller no matter where they show up. If they're being interviewed on a podcast, if they have a podcast, if they're launching a new product via a sales email, or if they're selling to a client, every single place you show up from fundraising to fun conversations gets better when you communicate if you're a masterful storyteller. And so I'm getting a lot of pressure from my audience to just own that outright because they want to learn. They want to use it. They see what I'm doing. And I'm very appreciative of that. But that's a big unknown. It's like, do I want to hitch my wagon to that theme forever? But at least I have that option, right? Like that's, that's the benefit of any creator business where you do get to interact with your audience is you get 
your ideas pressure tested really quickly and you can vet where to go from there. So that's why I'm actually heartened by this decision because the trade-off I made was Toyota or Tesla? Cool, I'm picking Tesla. How do I execute it? TBD. First car off the track is this, you know, it's not even really off the track. It's the concept car for what could go onto the assembly line eventually are these working groups. But I can see a lot of scenarios where I do more things in B2B storytelling and, and all that stuff. So yeah, every, literally everything is a question. And I do not want anybody listening to this to be like, Jay, in this case, Akunzo, has anything figured out because we're all figuring this out as we go. So there's no reason you can't, you, the listener, can't too. This is a thought for folks listening as much as it is to you, Jay. When I was doing my working groups with Unreal uh, back in 2017 through 2020, what I found was I had really good success if I had a 30-minute call with somebody who was on the fence. I just had to figure out if they were on the fence. And so it was like either I kept a CRM, which I did, and anytime I had a conversation, whether it was an email exchange or whether it was literally a coffee with somebody locally, and we touched on something that made me think they would be a good fit the next time this opens up, I would follow up with them and I would just say, hey, opening the accelerator back up, if that's interesting at all, we should have a conversation, no pressure, no expectation. And so the win in that email was have a conversation real time because I knew in that conversation, if it was a fit, it would become obvious and they would want yeah. to sign up. But you know, at, at a level of scale that I know you are, that's harder to do unless you literally email and it's like, hey, here are a bunch of 20 minute slots on my Calendly, first come, first serve, if you're interested in this program specifically. But people could also abuse that and just say, I want 20 minutes of Jay's time. That's, well, that suck. again, te Tesla versus Toyota. <laughs> if it's a Toyota model, like that doesn't scale. With a Tesla model, it does because I can say, I can be more discerning. I don't need it to be through a tool. I can just one-to-one -one email people and say, you seem interesting. Like this is how I would treat my speaking business is there are two types of gigs. There was a sort of pipeline gig and a backstop gig, a backstop gig. Your back was against the wall. There was nowhere else you could go. This is one organization hiring me to speak. I should be very finicky and firm on my rate because they're not going to hire me for another probably two years at best. And even then it's unlikely. But a pipeline gig fills your pipeline with leads and business, so it's a big trade association conference. You're on the main stage of a giant event or what have you. People in the room can hire you so you can keep going professionally. So the same can be said of when you're in the Tesla mode, you can look at each individual you're interacting with and say, how likely is it that this person is serious about buying this? Or how likely is it that, you know, I could, in a pilot setting, for example, accept folks from known brands or with known reputation as an individual so I could ask them for a testimonial? Like, you can make these very discerning, almost one-to-one -one decisions that you just can't if the object is, I need a list of 100,000 people, hell, even 10,000 people, and I need to sort of open things up scalably. So... It's non-scalable, and I'm using air quotes, given a certain model, but in my model, it's actually profoundly efficient because it helps me, it's like the decision that helps lots of other decisions on the back end snap into place. Yeah, and you find out a lot about where your copy, which you think is just amazing, is falling short, because even stuff that's like written there, when people ask like, well, here's my concern, I'm wondering like, how does it work, what's the structure like? And you think, it's literally on the page. If this was the stopper of the question, how did you not find that? But then again, customers write, how do I make that more clear and apparent? The other challenge that I always had doing a group model was people wanted to know who else was going to be in the group before they committed, which created this like intense staring contest for weeks before the deadline. And so it was always like, 
I need to get someone who really believes in me, who is awesome, to commit. And then when I'm having these one-to-one conversations, I feel comfortable sharing and divulging the fact that this is someone else who's going to be in the group. Another domino falls over. And then suddenly everybody wants in at once. But community is about the people. So no matter what your model is, people need to have a high degree of certainty that the people who are going to be in there are the type of people that they want to pay to have access to. And, you know, one of the most powerful things that any of us can do, no matter your model, is to understand who your audience is intimately, do some quantitative investigation that looks like a survey and maybe some other data through some kind of technology solution. But mostly it's surveying the audience and asking the right questions. And that comes through one-to-one conversations. Like the most transformative thing I've ever done for my business, and I need to get back to this, honestly, is offering to both my podcast subscribers and my newsletter subscribers five half an hour calls available every month, first come, first serve. And I would make sure that people weren't, you know, booking back-to-back months where for 15 minutes, I would just ask questions of who they are, what they're dealing with in their work. I wouldn't ask about my work. I wouldn't ask about my your ideas for my work. I care more about where are you struggling? What problems do you have that I might be able to solve eventually? And then the second 15 was whatever you want. What We could talk, we could just catch up. You could ask me questions or we could talk about your work. And I wouldn't ask the same questions in my first 15 of each call. I'd evolve it because it's like, oh, I've been learning this for a little while. I kind of want to know this next for my audience. So people go, well, that doesn't scale. And I'm like, no, the calls themselves don't scale, but the insights I'm learning inside of them scale magnificently. Mm. That reminds me of something else that I wanted to share for the listener who might be interested in their own community or membership. One of the things I bucketed time for right away for the Creative Companion Club was to have a weekly 60-minute office hours. Then as kind of like a bonus, especially in the beginning, as like the people who are joining early were just like really early adopters and I want to pour the love on the people that are there early, I started opening up these 30-minute hot seats, which are one-to-one discussions, but we did them on Zoom. So I opened it up for the community to come live if they wanted to watch and interact in the chat. And then I would publish that hot seat recording in the community as well. And that was all known up front that that's going to be recorded and shared with the community. The feedback I'm getting from people who are just watching hot seats is incredible to the point where I've actually deprioritized office hours a little bit. Instead of doing one every week, I do one every two weeks. And I've used that two hours I've regained as four additional hot seats per month. And so now I'm doing 30 minute one-on-one coaching calls inside the community for the same time that I've already allotted. And the people who are getting 30 minutes of one-to-one attention are like, this is incredible for the price. And the people who miss things but want to watch replays, it's a lot more obvious what I'm going to learn from this hot seat that was oriented around a specific problem than watching a 60-minute office hours where the questions happen organically. And frankly, I don't take notes on like, here's the timestamp of when this question happened. It's just not as good of a recorded experience. That is such important learning. Like that's why I'm excited to pilot this group because it hasn't started yet. It kicks off April 11th or the week of April 11th. Because once you get on the back end of a test, you can really then improve the next thing. Like again, every every single time I launch anything, I'm like, this has to succeed. I really want to, because my ego goes, this has to succeed. And then hopefully my cooler side prevails. And uh, and I don't mean cooler, like more culturally fluent because <laughs> Not that like a ship was sailed cat, years ago. Cat. No one is conflating me with anybody who's doing anything <laughs> cool anymore. Um, but like calmer heads prevail when you're like, what is the point of this thing? It's to learn. It's actually not to drive revenue, but I have to charge the full fee because I'm trying to learn. One data point is, are, are people going to buy this? And I had debated, and you gave me some good advice too. 
Do I reach out to some friends and fill this with a few free seats? Do I lower the price? Do I do anything that basically changes this into a different product, essentially, to pilot it? And all my friends who are much smarter than me said, no, because you're not going to learn. You're not going to get good data. It has to be the thing as you envision it, at least right now, take a stab. And so to folks who are listening, I would say you're probably looking at or thinking about all these different trade-offs about projects you're either already building or might launch. And the most important thing you can do is decide what is this for if you launch it? It's not for it to work. It's for you to learn. It's to get signal to course correct on the back end of that because right now you don't have any data. And secondly, it's to get on the other side of a trade-off as quickly as possible, especially because so many of the trade-offs we make are reversible. It's like, if I do this again the next time, I could change the price, I could change this, I could change that. Like we overvalue or I think over-deliberate rather on a lot of trade-offs that ultimately are easy to change and not too many of them change our work for months or years on end. So once you get on the back end or, or decide, it's like you can breathe again and you can push forward. So decide what the project is for. And then as you deliberate all these trade-offs, have that conversation. Is this reversible or is this something I could do again and differently to learn if I took the other course, what would it be like? The answer is usually yes. So make the decision quicker and only deliberate at length for the things that do feel foundational. And there's very few of those things. It's a good point about how to kind of seed things early and I think context is important here also, like for a live working group, I don't think it makes a whole lot of sense to have free seats unless they're scholarships and you can control the quality of the person or discount it because we're worried about make sure getting things filled. It's like, it's like the freelancer who starts discounting themselves and they're doing these projects for not nearly enough money. And suddenly that person is telling their friends who also want the service for not nearly enough money. You like have to set the precedent up front. It's really important. Yes. But there's some magic in finding a way to get people to pay early before you even launch the thing. And it might come down to just like knowing your audience and knowing some of your biggest supporters and giving them the opportunity early because there's been a lot of magic around the launch of the Creative Companion Club because when I launched it, it already existed. Like the landing page isn't theoretical in any way. I could take screenshots of like, here's the community, here's what's going on inside. There are 50 plus members in there already because I've just been dropping breadcrumbs to my audience along the way and people found their way to the rabbit hole of the secret door <laughs> that I let them join early. But that's a hard, it's it's a difficult thing to do. And I feel like we would need a lot yes. more time to talk about that strategy, unfortunately. There are so many trade-offs, so many little things that depending on your model, depending on your project, like, you know, I just got an email from a very large SaaS company that I had talked to a person probably nine months ago, like, hey, I do this thing that you're trying to get better at. You know, we had some prior history with each other. Like, this is a new thing I do. Just FYI, if you ever have a need, like, thought I'd flag this. And nine months or six months later, she emails me and says, like, hey, I want you to consult on this. That's how my world looks. It's very much not, I'm going to launch this thing and track these people on through, like, here's my funnel and here are all my automations. That's not my world. So you have different trade-offs and different decisions to make, and it looks very different depending on the model you're going to build. And, you know, I think if there's any sum up of all this to, for me, it's knowing that there's different approaches, being okay with picking the one that fits you, knowing what would fit you, that's most of the battle because everything else on the back end is a trade-off or a test to learn, to experiment, to get some data and grow. And so most of us are trying to do the same kind of model. I think we need to just start by realizing there's actually lots of ways to build this kind of creator life of ours. Yeah, I mean, there's so much blueprint 
launch information out there about how to do launches the right way. And I ended up throwing all that out the window, even with this quote unquote launch for a product like this, for a Tesla level product, these are not impulse buys. Launches are really for like warmed customers and or impulse buys. So I'm looking at this launch as like, hey, I know that this is going to be the first of six times that you're going to need to think about this before you make a purchasing decision. I want the launch to be splashy enough that I'm reaching a large part of my audience to know that this exists so that when it comes up again a month from now or two months from now, it's not a surprise. And, you know, you're starting to think about this might be for me because it takes some people a long time to commit to something, especially a discerning audience. Right. So give me those two dimensions again. They are, it's launches are for warned members of your audience. Warmed as in like. Warmed. Yeah. Well, people you can who also know, say warned. Like, people hey, this who is know that up, this is already this. coming. Right. Which means it's like, not even really a launch. It's kind of like an unveiling. It's way easier to open a restaurant successfully when there's already a line waiting out the door, right? Like it's just, why hide it? The fact that you're building something. So, so warming the audience up and then the impulse buys. That goes away the higher price it gets. The impulse yeah. buy part. That goes away. 100%. It comes down to like what your market can bear and what type of financials they're working with because $1,000 is not the same to every person. To some people, $1,000 is an impulse buy. To most people, (laughs) $1,000 is not an impulse buy. So it's not something that you can just make a quick decision like, yep, unless you knew it was coming or you're looking for something specifically like this. So, you know, this is to say for any product that you're launching, if you're trying to go upstream and have more of a Tesla model in our parlance here today, your launch may not be super, super splashy. And you may want to think about how to change your approach from the cookie cutter launch tactics that you're going to find online when you search for them. I love it. Jay, this was great. It was really nice to commiserate with you over a new thing I'm working on because you do it, you do it in office alone somewhere. And it's like, I, whoo, here goes nothing. And also everything. So when you, when you texted me and you were like, should we just do this? And you were like, do you want to do it now or do you want to do it Friday? I was like, right <laughs> effing now, please and thank you. So if nothing else, I got a lot out of this. I hope other people did too. And if people do have questions about any of this stuff, I am a complete open book, as I know you are too, um, to contact either of us on Twitter. We should have a conversation. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Jay Talking with Jay Akunzo. I would love to hear if you enjoy these episodes, this little mini series on the show. If you enjoy this format of show, a more casual conversation between a couple of friends, please tweet at me, let me know. I've been spending a lot of time thinking about community and memberships over the last couple of years, and I feel like I've really learned a lot. I've poured that knowledge into making what I believe is a really remarkable community with the Creative Companion Club. And so far, it seems like everyone agrees with me. This week, we're kicking off a shared focus sprint, which is kind of like a lightweight cohort-based course in the community focused on creating a signature lead magnet. So if you're focused on converting more of your traffic into email subscribers, this sprint is perfect for you. And last month, we focused on creating a high converting sales page or landing page. So between those two sprints, which you can get access to as soon as you join the Creative Companion Club, you can really do a better job of attracting traffic and converting that traffic into email subscribers. Just visit joinccc.com or find the link in the show notes. That's joinccc.com. If you want to learn more about Jay and Elevate, you can visit his website at jayacunzo.com or his Twitter at jayacunzo. Links to both are in the show notes. 
Thanks to Jay for being on the show. Thank you to Emily Klaus for making the artwork for this episode. Thanks to Nathan Todd for mixing this show and Brian Skeel for creating our music. If you like this episode, you can tweet at Jay Klaus and let me know. And if you really want to say thank you, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thanks for listening and I'll talk to you next week. Universe.